The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.
uh, in the football club because they love what they're doing and they care for one another in a way that helps each other continue doing what they love. And, um, and so I just love being a part of that and I love being able to see a church that also loves doing that as well. So that's a bit about me. Um, I'm going to pray uh, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 19 this morning. So why don't you pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we come this morning, uh, we just want to stop right now and recognize that you are in charge, that you are all-powerful, that you, you are here in our midst and everything we do today is to honor you. Lord, as we look at your glory, as we look at the glory of God this morning, Lord, may, may we see that everything we are, everything we do, is to reflect that glory, honor that glory, and show that to others so they might recognize it as well. Lord Jesus, as we open your word today, allow it to speak to us, rebuke us, correct us, train us, encourage us, motivate us on. Whatever it is in our own individual need this morning, you can speak right into that. So I pray you do so. In your name, amen. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I love her far horizons, I love her jeweled sea, her beauty and her terror, the wide brown land for me. And now I know a lot of you are going, hang on, that's not Psalm 19. But it's a famous poem, isn't it? It's a poem that, that hopefully most of us have heard before. My wife's a school teacher. Is it a poem that still goes around primary schools? Maybe high school? Cool. Um, it's something that I remember learning in, 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 I think I learned it in primary school, and uh, I've learned to recite it, learned to, to know this poem, My Country, it's called, um, by Dorothy McKellar, if you're not aware, um, a famous, famous poem about what? Australia. The wide brown, brown land for me, our, our sunburned country. And, and poetry is just one of those things, isn't it, that brings images into our minds. The way the words are written on the page, the way that we recite these words aloud bring images into our minds. We, we see the sunburnt country. We, 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 we picture the sweeping plains, or we remember a time when we ourselves um, experienced that. When I read this, I think of the, the trips I used to have to do as a computer engineer out to some country towns, out Dolby, Chinchilla and all that, and you get up over the Toowoomba Range and you head out of Toowoomba and then suddenly there'd be just these sweeping plains as long as the eye can see. And, and so when I read this poem, there are the images that come into my mind. Now, I must admit, though, that poetry has never really been something that I was overly into. Um, at school, it was always the thing that I cringed at when it came up. It's like, oh, the poetry unit. I'm going to have to write a poem. Um, we went to the pool. It was cool. Um, like, like that, that's about the extent of where my rhyming thought kind of got to, and I, I actually love writing, I love reading, um, I love reading books, uh, narrative books, I'm reading a book at the moment that's about this book that my wife gave me for Christmas, it's the, the biography of Alexander Hamilton, um, one of the founding fathers of the United States, it's the book that actually, the, the musical that's coming to Brisbane next week, written by Lin-Manuel uh, Lin Miranda, was, was based on, and I've seen that musical, and I'm a history buff, and I love reading, so a book this book doesn't faze me at all. Um, I love writing. I write pages and pages in my journal. Um, I used to have a blog that I used to write on all the time when they were cool. They're not so cool anymore, I guess. Um, I like writing journal articles and things like that. I love writing. I love reading. I love history. I love everything pretty much except for poetry. Um, and that's what I used to be like anyway. Um, 
when I was at Bible college, though, um, again, I'm not sure um, if, if many here have been to Bible college, but the first year of Bible college, they really try to give you a, a big overview of what's going on in the Bible. So, so one of your um, main subjects that you do is called a survey of the Old Testament and a survey of the New Testament. And so this survey of the Old Testament went through all the different types of writing in the Old Testament. We got to the very last unit, and you can guess what it was on. It was on poetry in the Old Testament. And I kind of did the same thing I used to do in high school. I was like, oh, oh I don't know what I'm going to get out of this one. Uh, but my lecturer actually started this unit by saying, is there anyone here that doesn't get poetry? And I put my hand up. And I was really surprised I was the only one that put my hand up. I didn't think I was weird. I just thought no one got poetry. But I put my hand up, and I'm sitting there in a class of about 30 people, and I'm like, oh, oh it's, it's just me. And so for the rest of that unit, this lecturer singled me out time and time again. Um, we looked at the par- uh, all the different types of poetry, Psalms, of course. We looked at things in Lamentations, Song of Songs. Um, some of the prophetic writings that are very poetic in the way that they're written. And my lecturer would keep coming back to me and he would say, do you see it, Dean? Do you see the image, Dean, that has been created? Dean, do you see what's behind the image? He actually challenged me to, um, to approach poetry, especially poetry that's in Scripture, um, in a different way. Um, as a revelation of God in a human interface. That poetry is this revelation of God in a human interface. And when he used that terminology, it kind of clicked for me. Because as I said, I was a computer engineer. So human interfaces is something that, that I kind of get. This idea that we take something that's complex, this code in a computer system or this amazing piece of machinery, and what we do is we create a human interface so humans can interact with it, so humans can understand it better. So sometimes if you're thinking about a computer game, humans can enjoy it. And so poetry, when we come to this point of poetry in scripture and poetry in praise and worship is this idea that there is a, this glory of God, this magnificent being who is way beyond our ability to comprehend. Yet in some way we can express ourselves through a human interface that allows us to worship him and to understand his glory. And that's what we've been doing already this morning just in singing some of these songs that we sing. Um, as a worship pastor at Birkdale, I began to, to sort of look at the, what songs we sing in church and what songs maybe we shouldn't sing in church and different things. I got this idea of, of, of this idea of we're reflecting God's glory, we're using it to proclaim His glory, and, and, and so many of the songs are just beautiful poetry, aren't they? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly trust in Jesus' name. What images does that create in your mind? Um, I mean, if you're, if you're doing the, the modern version of that song, the chorus goes, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Saviour's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. I mean, that's just this picture, isn't it, of the cornerstone of this strong building, um, that, that even through a storm, we're, we're, we're strong and secure because we have a cornerstone. Or if you want to go to the, the original hymn of that song, the, the, the chorus of that uh, is just one of those rousing ones that I love so much. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so poetry is actually something that we all understand. Poetry is something that we actually all interact with because we sing it every week. And so now I'm going to read us Psalm 19 as we come to it this morning, but I want to ask you right from the start, 
what image does it create in your mind? What is coming through either from your past experience, your, your knowledge of God, but what is this poetry doing to create an image in your mind? What pictures do you see? And then, as I said, what my lecturer continually urged me during that course was, what do you see that is behind those pictures? What is the meaning behind the image that David's creating out for us this morning? What is David pointing us to as we read Psalm 19? So, I'm just going to hope my clicker works. Oh, yep, I've gone one. Yep, I went one too far, so I'll go back. There we go. Um, I'm going to read this, and, and as I said, read along with me uh, and, and just think about and sort of tuck away the images that come up in your mind. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, there are no uh, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes to light, comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is, Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the law is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and all righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep, me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can I ask you, as I read that, what, what pictures were... Were, were in your mind? Um, what, what did you see? Someone's going to shout something out. I'm not objecting to that either. So if you want to see if there was something that really came to you, feel free to shout. If not, we'll just have some awkward silence. Awkward silence it is. That's great. But what I wanted to say this morning is I think what it's done initially at least is paint a picture for us of the glory of God. Now, what do we mean by the glory of God? We had a bit of a definition for us before, which is great, but I've written down something myself, so I'm going to read it out too. Um, but I think the glory of God is actually the reflection of His power, holiness, greatness, kindness, and love. Uh, in this psalm, what David is doing is painting a picture of God's glory by showing us that all of creation and everything in creation is actually reflecting God's glory. It's reflecting the fact that God is powerful, that God is holy, that He is great, that He has amazing kindness, and that God is love. Only an incredibly powerful God could create something as amazing 
as the sky, with the power of things like thunder and lightning. Because we see that and we're amazed by it, but we know that God controls it. Um, you look out at the great ocean. As I said um, in our interview, Chelsea and I this year went on a, a cruise. And to stand, when you stand at the dock and you look at the cruise ship, you think, oh my gosh, this thing is amazingly big. It's like the biggest vehicle I've ever seen in my life. It's a huge. Cruise ships are huge. Two days later, you're on the ocean. You can't see anything but water for 360 degrees. And you think, oh my gosh, this thing is so small. The ocean just shows us how great and amazing God is that even things we create that look huge to us, suddenly in His creation are so small. You think about if you've ever had the opportunity, I haven't, but you have the opportunity to stand at the, the edge of the Grand Canyon. Well, one of the things I used to love to do when I was, was just out of high school was go out to Chinchilla where there was an old man who I used to call Pa. He wasn't my Pa. I just called him Pa. We used to go out there quite often. And he had an observatory he built himself, an amazing man of science that polished his own mirrors and built an observatory. And we used to go to Chinchilla and look at the stars. And I would never get tired of that. Every opportunity I had to go to Pa's place and we had an opportunity, even if we couldn't use the observatory, but just to sit there in Chinchilla where there was no city lights and to look up at the, the majesty of the stars and the beauty of the stars would leave me in awe of how great my Creator must be. Creation reflected that glory. But we can go the other way as well. You think about how perfectly intricate a bumblebee is in the way that he's created in such perfection to to, to be so small but be able to operate in the way that it does. Or you look at the beauty of a rose and the delicate um, nature and pattern of those petals and you think how perfect and how set apart their creator must be to have done that. Or again, you marvel as you watch a mama kangaroo care for and love for her joey and take it into the pouch and, and protect it and look after it and nurture it. And you can't help but think of the, the kindness and the love of the God who made them. This is what we're looking at this morning, the fact that creation, David says, creation is singing God's glory to us so we might recognize it and reflect it ourselves. And I want to look at three different ways that David tells us God's glory is reflected in this world. The first is that we see the, the image of God's glory being painted on the sky. That God's glory is reflected in the sky. And our psalm, it starts with this idea that the heavens are declaring, that the sky is proclaiming. Like I just said, I don't think there's anything quite in all of God's creation that is as wondrous as the sky. I don't think there's anything else that stops us and just makes us look at it and go... That is magnificent, like the sky. You think about the fact that here in Australia, at least, we get those sunrises, or here in Queensland, we get the sunrises over the water. And you watch that sun poke up, or here again, here in Queensland, I know it's different over on the other side of the country, we watch the sun set over the mountains and the colours that come out because of that. Even, I mean, again, I think of those drives that I had out west um, where you get there and it, it's just blue. Even when there's nothing else in the sky, it's just blue. If you see the vastness of that blue, it's incredible. All the patterns of the clouds or the power of the storms, or as I said just before as well, the brilliance of the starry sky. David himself here is declaring that the wonders of God's creation 
are the very thing that declare how glorious God is. That God's amazing creation highlights, and, and, and even at its pinnacle in the sky, shows us, and it should be enough to leave us in absolute amazement at who God is. But not just who God is, but all the things that go along with God's glory, those things I said before, His power, His might, His holiness, His greatness, His kindness, His love, all these things are reflecting God's glory. Ultimately, what they're reflecting is His worship, His worthwhileness. Our worship. And in its greatness, what we need to recognize this morning is that we actually cannot escape or ignore it. Now, I know as you hear me say that, you're probably thinking there's lots of people in this world who do ignore God's glory. But David here is letting us in on a truth that just like you might take the sky for granted, you may not notice it in its beauty. The fact is, is that you can never actually not be under it, can you? You can never actually not be affected by its presence. David, I think, this morning is telling us that God's glory is exactly the same. You might ignore it. You might fail to recognize it for what it is, but you cannot remain unaffected by it. And that's what it says in Psalm 19, verse 2. It says, day to day pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. This, this idea that the glory of God is going out, and no one can actually ignore it. No one is actually not affect, unaffected by it. All of creation, the sky in particular, is actually insistent in proclaiming God's glory. It never stops day to day, night to night. It just keeps continually doing that. And I was trying to think, what's that like? And I thought, have you ever had someone that's seen a movie, heard a new song, done something um, great, and they're so excited by it, they think it's the best thing ever that they just never stop talking about it? My father is one of those people. Um, if he ever sees or experiences something that is just he thinks it's great, you'll hear about it forever. I remember when I was a teenager, the movie Forrest Gump came out. Um, now, if you, who, who's here seen Forrest Gump? A good majority. Good. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone. Not good. There's so much in Forrest Gump. It's like one of the longest movies. It's got so many different things as it goes through. I can remember my dad, he used to be in the Air Force, so he had a, a, a day off and he went and saw it. During the day, we came home from school. We're sitting around the dinner table. I didn't need to go and see Forrest Gump after that dinner. Because he told me everything. I mean, and you think about how many different things and how many different things are going in Forrest Gump. I heard it all. He told it about it all. And then the next day, I heard more, and I heard more, and I heard more. The other one that I distinctly remember was when Dad saw Armageddon. That's another movie from a while back. Um, I saw that one with him. Um, I remember sitting in a cinema with him that time. I think it was one of the first times I ever saw my father cry. Um, but, but again, maybe a, maybe two or three weeks later, and we'd be talking about something completely different, and then suddenly Dad would just go quiet for a moment. And then he'd look at me and he'd go, see that Armageddon movie was good? I'm like, where did that come from? But it was always in his mind because he'd enjoyed it so much. And I think this is what David's saying. Creation is always like that. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, we can walk outside right now, look up and go, the sky is amazing. 
Or we can walk outside, get in our car, and totally ignore the fact that the sky is amazing. It doesn't change the fact that the sky is there and we've got this impact on it. And it's the same with the glory of God. Not just that it, that it proclaims it insistently to us, but also that it proclaims it universally. Um, verse 19, um, sorry, Psalm 19, verse 4, um, says that it goes through all the earth. Um, in, in verse 5, it starts talking about the sun. Or sorry, the end of verse 4, it starts talking about the sun. It says, in the sky, in them, you set the sun, you set a tent for the sun. Down to verse 6, it says, it's rising from the end of the heavens and it's circuit to the other end of them. There is nothing hidden by its heat. It doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, doesn't matter if you're a foreigner or a Jew, you are impacted by the sun each and every day. Now, in Queensland, we kind of understand that, don't we? I mean, even we're sitting in a lovely air-conditioned building here, um, but I'm already up here moving around a little bit too much. Sorry if the um, live stream, I keep walking off the screen, but it's just what I do. But I'm standing here, and I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling the impact of the sun right now, I can tell you, even in this air-conditioned building, even though we have a roof over our heads, it's hot. It's warm. We understand that there are days when, it, it, if you're a trader, you know this probably better than most, but there's days when you're out there and there is nothing you can do but be affected by that sun time and time again, all day. It, and it doesn't matter if you're a trader, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're out for a jog, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone is affected by the sun. David obviously understood this. I mean, in Israel, um, you think about the desert, you think about the, the, the land that he was in, the fact that he was probably hiding out in the wilderness and running from Saul and, and all the things he was, or the days that he spent as a shepherd. He spent days out in the sun, seeing the land absolutely cooked by it. This heat was universal. As I said before, all experience, rich, poor, people of God, foreigners, the good, the bad, Everyone is affected by the sun in the same way, and David is telling us that that's what the glory of God is like. It's universally been shown to us through all creation, but just like the sun rising from one side of the, the, the horizon to the next and traveling there, there's, and nothing's hidden from it, nothing is hidden from the glory of God. Those other little illustrations that he gives us, just like a bridegroom coming out on his wedding day and everyone taking notice of him. Or in our culture, we, we, it's probably being switched around. This is as that bride walks through the door and everyone stands and turns and looks. No one doesn't notice her beauty or, or her on that day, do they? David's saying God's glory is like that. Everyone notices it. Or just like a strong man in his race is persistent. He's, he's moving towards his goal. God's glory is doing the same. It's actually so important for us to realize today that I want to say this, and I think David says this in his psalm, is that whether you believe in God or not, we're all experiencing God's glory. It's just a simple fact of this earth that his worth is shown and seen through the amazing creation that, he is, that is all around us. You may not recognize it as God's work, but it doesn't change the fact that it is. In turn, I think we all need to recognize it as such. The very truth of it is that I think we're completely enveloped in God's glory to a point where we need something to focus our image of it so that we can understand it correctly. Because there's a lot of people out there in this world today that see God's glory, see the wonders of creation, but interpret it in the completely wrong way. People see the power of the sun and they worship it. 
instead of worshipping its creator. Or they look at the beauty of nature around them and they worship the trees and they worship the, the animals and they worship the, the spirit of nature instead of worshipping its creator. And so creation, I think, gives us such a fire hose of God's glory that we need something to focus it for us so we can understand it and we can reflect it in a correct way. Now, do you get that idea of a fire hose? Has anyone ever used a fire hose? Um, I've, been, I've worked in a petrol station when I was at university. I work in a petrol station a bit at the moment as well. And the idea of a fire hose is it gets the water out there as quick as possible. Um, I remember when I was at school, one of, my, one of the students decided on his last day that he was going to um, let the fire hose loose on our, our maths teacher. Um, I don't suggest that. I don't. And as, as much as it brings a little giggle back into my mind, it's not a good thing. It was bad. But, but this poor guy, as soon as that fire hose got turned on, it wasn't like, oh, my shirt's wet. It was like, no, no, he was wet. He was drenched. It was complete. In the instant of this fire hose turning on, he was completely drenched. Have you ever tried to take a drink out of a fire hose? Like, you wouldn't want to. Your lips would get ripped off. And so creation gives us this fire hose of God's glory. And what we need is we need a tap. We need something that can, that can focus it down so we can drink, so we can understand, so we can enjoy. And David gives us that. Thank goodness I'm going somewhere with all of this. But David, this next part of the psalm is that David tell us, tells us that God's glory is reflected through his word. Actually, God's glory is focused for us through his word. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. See, David doesn't, and Israel has never actually seen the law as some overbearing rule book that ruined their lives. I think so often as Christians, we look at, that, we look at the law, we look at the things that... that, that are written in the book of the law, and we think, how restrictive, how horrible it must have been. We look at the rule books and the laws around us, and we think, all I ever do is get caught out by the law. The law must be bad. I have to admit, I have to submit to it, but the law must be bad. But David gives us a completely different picture. Verse 10 um, says that it's more to be desired than gold, much fine gold. It's more, it's more sweet than honey. That doesn't give you the impression that they're thinking that it's an overbearing thing they don't want to deal with, do they? they? They love the law. Why do they love the law? I think it's because of this fact that it's not an overbearing heavyweight, but it's a beautiful way that they can connect with God. And the way that I love and I see this is in the book of the law itself. If I just flick back here to the very last chapter of the book of Exodus, so we're, we're back in Moses' time, the people are in the desert. They've escaped from Egypt. They're at the Mount Sinai. They're at Mount Sinai. God has given um, Moses the Ten Commandments, and He's told them, told him to build a tabernacle where God can dwell. And if I read the very last verses of Exodus, it says this: It says, "Then a cloud covered the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle that they built, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle." 
Moses, though, was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of God filled the heaven. So here is Moses doing exactly what God has told him. God has honored that by filling the tabernacle with his presence, which is just an amazing thing. But because that presence is there, Moses cannot enter it. We go to the very next page, the start of the book of Leviticus. It says, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And it goes on and he says so. But again, we get this picture that the glory of God is so intense, is so perfect that God has to be, God is in the tabernacle and Moses cannot be in there. God spoke to Moses from the tabernacle. Moses is still outside. But then what, what is Leviticus? Leviticus is this amazing book of the law where God writes, um, relays how the people can have a relationship with him. If you obey me, I will be your God, you will be my people. And it, out, it outlines all of these things for Israel to do to have a relationship with God. And then we get to the first chapter or the first verses of the book of Numbers and everything is changed. The first book of Numbers say this, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness in, in Sinai, in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month. Something's changed. Moses is now no longer outside and unable to approach God. He is now inside the tent of meeting, in the presence of God. And so this is why Israel loved the law. It's because it gave them an opportunity to have a relationship with God. The, the word of God to the people was able to take that fire hose of God's glory and focus it in a way that allowed them to have a relationship with Him. God is so glorious, so powerful, and so holy that, that humankind in its imperfection could not even imagine coming close to Him. Not even Moses, not even their chosen leader, the one that God had given the instructions to actually build that tabernacle, even he was not able to approach until the law allowed him. God provided this way to approach and relate to him. God speaks his word and then through obeying it, a proper understanding of the glory of God is focused so that humanity in obedience can respond to God's glory. And David shows us that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, I know that humankind has corrupted that law, that has seen it through its own selfish uh, eyes. And uh, we know in Jesus' day, don't we, that many religious leaders were authoritarian and incorrect in their interpretation of that law. But that doesn't change God's intention for that law in His Word. God Himself said that the problem was that the law would not fully and permanently make a way for humans to approach and relate to God. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to throw it out, not to say that you don't need it anymore, but to fulfill it. Um, and, and, and he lived perfectly under it and perfectly in tune to it. And then when he fulfilled it, he paid the ultimate price for us, the penalty for breaking it. And he paid that on the cross and he covered the cost for all humankind. So now for us as Christians, it's believing in Jesus that allows us to have that permanent connection for us to relate to God, for us to reflect His glory. So David today has painted a beautiful image for us of the Lord. 
of God's Word that revives him, that teaches him and guides him, that, that opens his eyes to see God as connecting to him in relationship, and, and for him to see God's glory in a way that makes his heart rejoice. But for us as Christians, we actually have an even fuller experience of that. We actually get it even better than David, where because of Jesus, we now have access to God as our Father. We're heirs to the inheritance of the Son, with God Himself living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So where the law allowed Moses to enter the tent where God was, Jesus allows us to actually have God living inside us. And I've gone too far. This intimacy of that is complete, in that we now have a perfect relationship with God through the love of Jesus Christ. And I think that beauty should just astound us. It should be like the sky, where we walk outside and we see it each and every day and just go, wow, that's magnificent. The fact that Jesus has allowed us to have a relationship with God is so much greater than that. But like my lecturer continued to tell me through our poetry unit, let me remind you again that these pictures are great, but let's not forget to look at what's behind those images. What does it mean for us that we have a relationship with God, that we get this beautiful picture of God's glory? It's the gospel, isn't it? This fact that, that the good news that we can now have a right relationship with God, I think the final part of our psalm today points to what's behind this and our response because David shows us his response to God's glory. And that's the fact that God's glory is now reflected in our lives. David's response, I think, is a sobering response. And I, I think it's that because we've already touched on the fact that, that humans too easily take their eyes off the glory of God and put it back on themselves. Um, even though it's plain to see many humans live in ignorance of it. And I, I, again, this morning I want to say, I think that's true whether or not you're a believer or not. Obviously, unbelievers are, are ignorant of God's glory or, or God's plan, and, and they live ignorantly to it. And, and, and I don't want to shy away from the fact that I think they need to see God for who He is, for what He's done. But this morning, if I'm speaking to, to the church and saying, as Christians, we all too easily take our eyes off God as well, and we place them back on ourselves way too easily. One of the things that, that I say is the very first thing you ever commit each and every day is idolatry. We often think that idolatry is this great sin and something that we can shy away from and not push ourselves to, but it's the very first thing we do. Because before you can get um, angry at someone, before you can lust after someone, before you can lie, before you can cheat, before you can steal, before you can do any of the things that, that you would say, these are my sins for the day. The very first thing you have to do is take your eyes off the throne of God, take your eyes off the glory of God, and put those eyes on yourself. Because if you didn't put your eyes on yourself, if your eyes were still on the glory of God, you wouldn't do all those other things. So every sin that we commit is a sin of idolatry. It's a sin of taking our eyes off the glory of God. And David here shows us that our lives need to reflect God's glory in a way that, that, that does away with that idolatry. In verse 11 he says, um, your servant is warned. He's talking about the law. Because of the law, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is a great reward. 
And then he says this in his response in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Who can declare me innocent from hidden faults? Who can keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over them? Who can do that? Well, the law could do that to him and show him a way that he could um, pay for his sins through the old sacrificial system. And for us, we can look at that and say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who can discern our errors. It's Jesus who knows all of our sins, um, all of our hidden faults. It's Jesus that can declare us innocent because it's Jesus that's paid the price for that. David is very aware of how undeserving, that undeserving he is to be paid from God's glory. But also, David sees that through the law, he has a way to, to access that glory that brings him back into relationship to God. And likewise, for us, the Word became flesh, and the cross shows us how unworthy we are, but also our way back. The cross shows us how unworthy we are. I mean, Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this. But the, the fullness of that verse actually says this, Now the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law, apart from the prophets. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, from whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. So Jesus is the central point for us realizing that we can actually even be in God's presence. He is the justification that comes apart from the law, that the law testified to, that makes us right so we can be seen worthy in the light of God's glory. And so like David, we can use the law to check ourselves, or we can use Jesus and what Jesus taught us to check ourselves, to make sure that we're worthy to approach God the same way that David was able to. To ensure that our lives are actually reflecting God's glory. I'm amazed by the Great Commission. Um, But Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, so you therefore go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he didn't stop there. This is where I, I get amazed by it. He says, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the world. This idea of discipleship, this idea of being a church, of being Christians, is yes, to be going and telling people about Jesus. Is to be going and, and when people come to know him, baptizing them. But a huge part of discipleship is also to continue to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. And this idea that, that as we check ourselves against Jesus, as we hear, as we hear his word and as we obey, we are reflecting God's glory. Which then leaves us in a place where we can stand firm, just like David was able to stand firm at the end of his psalm, where he said, um, the, let these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
I actually didn't plan this, but that brings us back to that, um, that hymn that I read out just before, uh, doesn't it? That on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That this idea of us reflecting God's glory, of understanding that everything around us is proclaiming it, that God's Word then focuses it for us so we can understand it and have a relationship with Him, so we can then reflect it in how we live so others then might understand it, and we, this allows us to do that. But at the same time, as we reflect it, as we show others, we realize that it's this standing firm then on that rock. So whatever life throws at us, and over the last two years, hasn't life thrown some things at us? But as life throws things at us, we can stand firm because we understand God's glory and we want to reflect it to others. I'm going to pray and then the, the, the music team is going to come back up and we're going to sing our final song. But, but let's today, I just want to let us finish with these two thoughts. I want, to, I want you to think today, what is God saying to you? That's really important. Think about that in your own life. Maybe chat with someone after the service. What did God say to you today? But even just as important, the next question I always finish with is, what are you going to do about it? Because it's really important for us to hear God's Word, but it actually doesn't do much if we don't then let it impact our lives. So today, let me leave you with those two questions. What's God said? What are you going to do about it? What's He said to you about His glory? Are you going to recognize Him for who He is? Are you going to change your life to reflect His glory? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Psalms and we thank You for poetry. This amazing uh, way where, where words are painted that we can gain an understanding of who You are, of what You've done for us. And so, Lord, this morning I just pray that you would be moving in our hearts in such a way that you would guide us towards you, that you would guide us towards people who don't know you so we can show them to you. And in all these things, we would recognize your glory, we would honor your glory, we would worship you for that, and then we would reflect that to others. Lord Jesus, you're in charge, so do your thing in our lives. And we pray this in your name. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.